I'm looking around and most people were at the morning service. So if you'd like the announcements, you can get the bulletin and read them. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at them and they're sort of they're pretty standard here. Is there anything special, Dave or Scott, that out of the ordinary that I should be announcing? Did Dave remember that this morning? It, it was supposed to be the little announcement. Dave, what's up, man? Well, no, no, Dave wasn't out. He didn't know about it. <laughs> so worship night this Wednesday, where is it? At, at Teresa's. Great. So we love these impromptu worship nights. And also, anyone interested in the Calvary Kids Club over at the projects, uh, the meeting today uh, was postponed for one week. It is going to be next Sunday, although you're starting this, you're starting this Friday. Yeah, so anyone interested, contact Angelina. Anything else? Anything else? Okay, First Chronicles, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Old Testament. I was looking on the calendar, and the last time we were in our study was December 16th. And so it's been over a month. And we will be in First Chronicles chapter 14. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word, every bit of it, Lord. And there's so much we can learn, Lord, from the heart of David. What an example he is, Lord, a man who was after God's own heart and a man who uh, was just a man of prayer, a man who was a man of worship. And, Father, and, and Lord, you have blessed us as we learned this morning, Lord, you have anointed us, set your seal on us by your spirit, uh, and Lord, uh, in our hearts, Father, we have uh, just the capacity by your grace, by your spirit, to, to be worshipers like David, to, to seek, to be seekers of your heart, to be prayer warriors, and Father, that's not just for the few. It's for anyone who is born again. And, and Father, I just pray that you lead us this uh, tonight. We've come here, Lord, because we want to be transformed uh, into your image, Lord. And so we offer our lives to be pruned. We offer our lives to be molded. Lord, sometimes that's painful. God, we ask for the grace to, uh, to endure the pain knowing that there's always a fourfold blessing uh, after, Lord God, the pain. And Father, I just, um, I just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds, the distractions, Lord, of the afternoon or the day, whatever, Lord. You'd help us uh, just move them aside. Lord, we want to bless you this evening. In 
just the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So last time uh, we were in First Chronicles, and I, just by way of review, since we've been out of it for over five weeks, we're at the time of Israel now where David has established his uh, kingdom, verse 2 of chapter 14 says, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, for his kingdom was highly exalted. Why? So he could sort of enjoy being a king over everyone and have people serve him or whatever? No, it says, for the sake of his, God's people, Israel. And so David had been on the run for 10 years. Uh, God had anointed him as the uh, to be king. We're speaking about that word anointing this morning. He had been anointed by Samuel to be king uh, over Israel something like f maybe 15 years before. Um, then he had been raised up in, uh, during the reign of Saul to a tremendous leader, uh, not only by beating Goliath, but just also as a commander of one of Saul's uh, regiments, married uh, Saul's daughter. He was uh, ate every night at the king's table. He was doing everything right. And nevertheless, all his circumstances uh, turned on him. And he found himself for 10 years uh, chasing, uh, being chased by Saul. It says there in 1 Samuel that every single day Saul sought his life. And David would go one place, he'd be ratted out. He'd go to the next place, he'd be ratted out. And you see uh, just how difficult that season was in his life if you look at some of the Psalms. But uh, finally, uh, after 10 years, uh, Saul and his family are killed in battle, including Jonathan. And Saul is made king. I mean, David's made king over Judah and Benjamin, but the northern, uh, the other 10 tribes. Uh, did not come immediately over to him. That was actually a number of years uh, later. Was it seven? Seven years? Something like that. And we see this wonderful, wonderful picture of what happens when you and I wait on the Lord and don't rush ahead in our own flesh. We see that in ver verses 23 through uh, 38 of First Chronicles uh, 12, we went over this. I tell you, this is just a wonderful picture of all the tribes descending on Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, you know, you, there's this picture. Is, it says in verse 23, David came to Hebron, uh, uh, came to Hebron uh, to turn over the kingdom of Saul uh, to him. So all the people uh, had actually come to David at Hebron. It says in verse 24, the sons of Judah, 25, the sons of Simeon, the sons of Levi, uh, verse 29, the sons of Benjamin. Verse 30, the sons of Ephraim. Verse 31, the uh, half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 32, the sons of Isaac. And so there's this picture of these tribes descending on uh, Jerusalem. And, and just such an unbelievable picture. Here's a man who had suffered so much for so long. Uh, by now, actually, it had been more than 10 years. It had been about 17 years. He, God had put the call of God in his life uh, 20 years earlier. And, and, and he, had, he, had been, he, had, he had waited on the Lord. 
And, and then, you know, the Bible does speak of this. You know, we wait on the Lord, but then when the, t the time, of God, you know, comes about, things um, happen swiftly, and you see this happening so swiftly uh, in his life. Verse 33, Zebulun. Verse 34, the sons of Naphtali. The, verse 35, the, uh, the Danites. And uh, verse 36, the sons of Asher. Verse 37, the Reubenites, the, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so, again, verse four, uh, chapter 14, uh, David says he knew now that the Lord had established him, uh, him uh, as king. Uh, as king. And then what, what did we uh, see in verse uh, 8? It says, Now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And so we learn from uh, 1 Samuel that it says the entire Philistine army. So, you know, this is what, you know, when did Satan go after Jesus? After 40 days and 40 nights fasting when he was at his weakest. And that's when he's going to come after uh, you when there's that time of weakness after a victory where there may be pride in your life or where there's the perception, oh, he or she, there's new, new to this place that the Lord has put a, a him or her at. And, and, or there's just been a, a great victory. Uh, you know, you can rest assured that, that Satan will be right there. And so what does David do? Uh, verse 10, he says, he inquired of God saying, shall I go against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said, go up and I will deliver them into your hand. So verse 10, he doesn't just assume that's what he's supposed to do. Philistines had been a, a lifelong enemy of the Israelites, but in, 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 you know, a, a less spiritual, less mature leader would have just said, of course I'm supposed to go to battle uh, against the Philistines. But no, he it says uh, there he inquired of the Lord. And so uh, they were delivered into his hand. Uh, and verse 11, uh, I just love this uh, verse. After the defeat, God, uh, after his victory, uh, David says, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. And so this is what happens, that you know, we wait on the Lord, and then just like a breakthrough of water, uh, God just, uh, like a torrent often, will, uh, the, the blessing will come. And, uh, uh, and then it, it goes on uh, in verse 13, it says, Then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valleys. So never think that Satan's going to give up his battle to, to bring you down, to take you out. Uh, and uh, he, you know, one victory, he's going to come right back again. And, and I know, you know, we, just, we went over this uh, uh, five weeks ago in this lesson, but it's such a valuable thing. What did David do? Did he say, well, of course, God wants me to go right uh, up against them. I mean, come on, that's what he told me last time. No, he didn't. It says in verse... Uh, 14, again, David inquired again of the Lord. And what does the Lord say? You shall not go up after them. And, and so, you know, why, why do we say the Lord is like this? You know, the exact same circumstance. Why wouldn't he just, uh, why wouldn't he just do the exact same thing again? Because you know something? If the Lord always wanted to do the same thing, we'd never go to talk to him. He loves us so much. He wants us in prayer with him. He wants us inquiring of him. We need to be led by the Spirit. And 
uh, so oftentimes you may be, have the exact same situation, exact same obstacle in your life, but the way you deal with it on Monday and the way you deal with it on Thursday, the Lord may want something completely different. And so it says you shall not go up. Wow, Why, how could that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, sometimes the Lord tells us uh, to do something that doesn't make any sense. It says instead he wanted him to, to, to uh, hang out and it says, when you hear the sound of marching, verse 15, on the tops of the mulberry trees. And that speaks to the very r real reality of angelic forces <laughs> that we cannot see, that are behind everything we do. You know, we take credit for things in our life. It has nothing to do with us. It's because, you know, God has, you know, has is with us, his power's with us, and there's an angelic force um, that is, is you know, super, supporting and undergirding um, our lives. And it says in verse 17, Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Real big-time change in the history of Israel at this point. A major shift. Uh, Saul had always been dogged by the enemies around him. He was never victorious over them. He, they rattled him. Uh, they drove him crazy. Uh, and, and why was, you know, there never that victory? Because he just, he, he, he was disobedient to the word of God. He, uh, he basically took the Lord off the throne and put himself on the throne and as a result, there was never any victory in his life. His whole battle, I mean, his whole life was just a battle with his flesh. And you see that battle of the, uh, uh, described in Romans 6, 7, and 8, where in Romans 7 it says, you know, I, I, I know the things I'm not supposed to do, but I do them anyway. And the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do them. And then Paul says in, in chapter 7, he says, what does that tell me? It, you know, it says that, you know, though... Though, you know, because I'm born again, he says, I want to do the right thing, but I said my sin is right there with me. What a, who will save me from this body of death? Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and you know, that's what Paul says, that who, who can give me victory over this battle? Uh, Jesus Christ uh, uh, can. And so Saul was that person who just never, never, just gave his life over to the Lord and al allowed the Lord to, to, to bring him victory. And, and so as a result, he just never, ever uh, had any victory over that battle of his own flesh his whole life. And, and so his enemies, it says, just were always dogging on him. Uh, but in here at the end of chapter 14, it says that the fear of David just fell upon all the nations. And so there's this just major shift in Israel. Uh, Israel had always been uh, sort of a minor sort of nation or, or power in the area in the midst of many, many others. And all of a sudden now, uh, things have uh, very much changed. Now, when this happens, what does David do? You, now, you might think, if it was me or you or, or, or many other people, wow, you know, uh, nation, the nations all around me have their... You know, the Lord has put fear of, of me over them. It's time to just hang out and, and enjoy my prosperity. 
You know, I'm at the, the, the pinnacle of my power and reign here. But no, David was restless. He was restless. So all the fame, all the power, all the money. He had, at this time, a number of wives. He was still very restless. And what was he restless for? He was restless for the glory of God. It says in chapter 15, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And so here you see why David was just so used mightily of God. Saul was installed into power and just forgot about the ark. He forgot about God. He didn't prioritize God. David just, he was, he was just, you know, there's a psalm that says, my eye shall not rest until um, I make a, a, a house for the Lord in, in Jerusalem. And he, he couldn't rest until that was there. Just the priority of putting the Lord at the front and center of the life uh, of Israel there. And so uh, you see here at the beginning of 15, uh, verse uh, chapter 15 here, that, uh, uh, you know, David, uh, he's not satisfied in, sp in spite of the fact you'd think he would just take a little time to, to bask in the victory here. And, and you know, it, it, all men and women, we, we seek uh, the, the glory of God, even unbelievers. They, they, they want to worship. There's, God has said eternity in the heart of man, Ecclesiastes says. They want to worship. And unfortunately, they go after it. We go after it by getting just some primo, trying to get the primo job that we don't have, trying to get that... Uh, Maybe it's a relationship that we don't have. Maybe it's a car or whatever, uh, a house. It's not going to satisfy. And that's what David uh, learns here. And so it's interesting. It says he pitched a tent, uh, which begs the question, where's the tabernacle that Moses had made? Remember all those chapters uh, in Exodus about the tabernacle that down to the smallest detail and then we saw the whole thing uh, being put up well the answer I think is pretty simple if you look at the book of judges which was a period of three or four hundred years I mean those people were in rebellion big time that uh, that all, all the instruments for that tabernacle were either lost or uh, stolen or forgotten about the ark remained by the grace of God, but the tabernacle was long, long gone by this time. And so David, it says, he uh, pitched uh, a tent here for the ark. And then in verse 2, it says, Then David says, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. Now, remember what happened the first time that David tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem. They put it on a cart and let it 
was it a couple of oxen or something like the Philistines, uh, you know, to um, the uh, to Jerusalem, and that was contrary to the very very specific command of God that the, the ark was to be carried uh, on the shoulders of the priests, the priests who had what. They had been gone through a series of sacrifices, baptisms, so that they could approach and be so close to the presence of God. Uh, and so, you know, that's what Jesus was for us. He was that sacrifice, that ultimate fulfillment that enables us to get close uh, to the presence of God. It wasn't always like that. You know, before the cross, man, you went before the uh, uh, you know, you touched the ark in a wrong way, and fire would come down from heaven. And so we found that. It, the, remember, the oxen stumbled. The ark uh, started falling off. Uzzah tried to hold it up. But there, was no, there had been no sacrifice. Jesus hadn't died yet on the cross. He, has, he wasn't a Levite, and he had not gone through the ceremony. He had not had that blood sacrifice to... Uh, which was a representation, a foreshadowing of Christ. He was defiling, although with perfectly good intentions, he was defiling that, that, that picture in the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah. And so it says on that day after Uzzah died that David f- was scared, he was confused, and he was angry. But what did he do? He didn't say, well, it's, I'm, not, I'm never going to try that again. You know, I'm not going to do that again. That must be a sign from the Lord that we're not supposed to do that. I I got to tell you, I have just about had it with people coming to me saying, I saw this sign or that sign, so I'm not doing this. You know, when we were in Haiti uh, last week, uh, at the beginning of the first day when we were with these uh, uh, teenagers these uh, who lived on the streets, and these were uh, quite a bunch of guys, but uh, anyway... Uh, we had a great time with them. But anyway, I told Adlai at the beginning of the trip, I go, now, Adlai, uh, this is not the United States. And uh, if this is anything, you know, I, I grew up in a country outside the States uh, for a good part of my youth in South America. And, like, things break down, Adlai. And so get ready to be patient. Well, uh, we were taking a two-hour to the be- two-hour drive to the beach, and the truck broke down twice, two times. And after the second time, the driver said to Pastor Serge, surely this is a sign that we're not supposed to go to the beach. And, uh, and, and Pastor Serge says, no, it does not work like that. And, 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 you know, what happened, it was amazing what happened is that, you know, 15 of those kids got baptized. They had been being taught for a three-month period through the book of Matthew, and uh, we gave a presentation. And um, I remember at at the beginning of the presentation, uh, you know, the uh, pastor Serge or someone said, "Okay, we're going to talk with you about baptism." And and one of the guys, and he's a tough guy. Actually, this guy was in a is in a gang there. He says, "I didn't come to get baptized. I came to go swimming." Uh, this guy, and um, but then for the next thirty minutes, uh, we were just sharing the Lord with this guy, with these uh, with these kids, and and they said, "Okay, now who wants to get baptized?" This guy raised. He was the first one to raise his hand. This guy. Uh, and so, but anyway, uh, thank God we didn't turn around because of that sign. No, the Holy Spirit has empowered us to, to, you know, there'll be plenty of obstacles in between 
where you are now and the place that God wants you to be. Uh, and so the key is you need to, to you know, uh, have a peace uh, in your heart about what the Lord wants you to do. Now, will there be signs that will confirm God's calling on your life? Uh, of course, but be very, very careful about seeing uh, a sign in any particular thing. David certainly didn't. He had assembled this gigantic parade to take the ark to Jerusalem. Some guy dies and the whole parade disperses. He didn't say, well, I know, that's that. No, he, what did he do? Did, did God do that in his life? Was that, did that happen to David to frustrate David's plans to, um, to, to, to bring the ark to Jerusalem? Is that why it happened? No. Why did it happen? It happened to drive David to the word of God. To the word of God. And that's what David did. He went to the word of God. And actually, I think he went to the, some of the priests and they said, hey, hey man, you, you did this all wrong. You know, you, you, sort of, you, you defiled the, the, the ark by, by carrying it the way a bunch of pagans, the Philistines, uh, carried it. You carried it with an ox and a cart. And so he says here in verse 2, just, just a wonderful leader he was. No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. Verse 3, And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place. So it's not this secret little ceremony. You know, some of these religions... I, I do not say this pro for political reasons because I know we're in a presidential race with a Mormon, but you know, Mormons have all these secret things uh, going on that they don't tell anybody about. Uh, uh, you know, you go into these secret places and there's secret rituals. That's just not of God. It, you know, verse 3 here says, He gathered all Israel to accompany uh, the, the carrying of the ark of the Lord to its place which he had prepared for it. Verse 4 says, Then uh, David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, and then it just uh, goes uh, through uh, the list of the, um, of the people that, who were uh, uh, responsible for, for taking up the uh, ark. Verse 12, He said to them, You are the heads of the houses of Levite. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of uh, the Lord of God, of Israel to the place I have prepared for, for it. So again, this was all a foreshadowing of Jesus, the, 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 the ark. And it's, it, notice how it says, sanctify yourselves and your brethren. You could not approach the presence of God without being sanctified. There was no plan for any Dick, Tom, or Harry just to walk into the presence and the holy place of God. Jesus had not died yet. And, 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 you know, when we study this, we, it should just give us a greater appreciation of what Jesus did for us. You know, when we see the sons of Korah, 250 of them or whatever, where they were consumed for burning incense to try to be like Aaron because they were jealous of Aaron and Moses and they were consumed by fire, uh, we need to remember that's what Jesus suffered for us the consuming fire, the wrath of God, so that we could go right into the presence of God. Uh, verse 13, 4, Because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us 
because we did not consult him about the proper order. I'm sorry, I just love repentance. I love it when I witness it. I love it when I read about it. And when I repent, times are refreshing, the Bible says, come from the Lord. And he's just, he, before the whole nation, there's none of this political spin. You know, when a politician these days does a mistake, it's all about the spin. Here, he's just saying, we did it wrong the first time, so the Lord our God broke out against us. And so uh, the real, real uh, uh, humility here. And, you know, we, we learn from 1 Corinthians that there are consequences uh, for doing worship the wrong way, even today. You know, they were worshiping God that first time when they were bringing the ark and they were uh, tremendous music and everything like that. And the Bible says that there needs to be order in a worship service. And, you know, it doesn't matter how well-intended we may be. We may have just filled with emotions and, and things like that. But if there's not that order that the, that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit talks about, it's not going to be pleasing to God, just like the, the ark being taken to uh, Jerusalem. And so there is a right way to worship God. And so uh, they, get, they get their things together here. And verse uh, 17, so the uh, Levites appointed He-Man, the son of Joel, and he was uh, one of their worship leaders. So Greg the He-Man, we've already laughed about that, our worship leader. He's a He-Man. Uh, but anyway... Uh, 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 verse 16, uh, back up to verse 16, the, David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. Resounding joy. And then it says in verse 25, so David, the elders of Israel, and the cabinets over Thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Edom with what? With joy. And then we read elsewhere that on the procession to Jerusalem, every six steps, they, they made every six steps, they made an offering to the Lord. Verse 27, it says, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the Ark, the singers, and Ch Chenaniah, the music master with the singers. David also wore linen ephod, and we also read uh, elsewhere in the parallel account that he actually eventually tore off everything except the le linen ephod. You know, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he'll exalt the humble. What a humbling thing for a leader to strip down to his linen ephod just as a, a sign of, of humility. Verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And so there was just, um, you know, we see this reference to joy in the worship. And actually, there's a lot of things we can learn here about worship. We do learn here that it should be joyful. You know, from time to time, I've talked with a worship team that, you know, regardless of what they're feeling on Sunday mornings, they need to come in here and they need to pray to be filled with the Spirit and then they need to sing with joy by faith, even if they come in just depressed or whatever. You know, people, why? Because they're serving, the, they're serving you guys. 
And, you know, a lot of people, they'll come into the church after, on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, after a real hard week at work, beaten up, or maybe in their family, things are going really bad in their family, and they're discouraged, or, you know, maybe in their neighborhood or whatever, and, and worship is supposed to, it's to, it's to come in, and, and there's supposed to be joy there. And, and, and so that's, you know, why, you know, we're told there that they, there was joy in the worship here. Again, verse 16 says, resounding joy at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the verse there. And, and, and so in verse 22, it also says there, it says, uh, Chenaniah, the leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music because he was what? Skillful. So that's why we have tryouts for our worship team. It's because the purpose of the worship team is not just to bless the person who's worshiping. They're supposed to be blessing you. And if they get up here and start croaking, I won't mention any names. There's a guy in this room who croaks when he sings. But um, if they get up here and start croaking, that's not going to bless the people, you know, in the service. Everyone's trying to guess who it is. It's Pastor Scott, okay? Uh, but but uh, I might as well say it. Uh, but, but anyway... You can still try out. We'll still give you a tryout, um, or Greg will. But but anyway, uh, but 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 seriously, uh, seriously, we take that very seriously. There there's supposed to be, uh, you know, we have a tryout. We we practice every single, you know, every week or every other week. However, you know, a guy is twice a week that they practice um, before the service, and then sometime during the week, every other week. But but the point is, is that is that the purpose of the worship team is to bless the people here, to serve them. And, and, and so not everyone is made to be on the worship team, but, but still, you know, uh, because, you know, the purpose is for, for the people to rejoice. It says resounding joy uh, there. And so to, to blessing the people here. And so... Uh, verse 29 again says, And as it happened, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. So we see there that David was whirling and playing music. So he's dancing and playing music. You know, we're emotional creatures. There's nothing wrong with expressing our emotion to the Lord. And sometimes people try to get really spiritual and, and say, you know, you're not supposed to get all emotional and, you know, real worship is when you're sort of still and quiet or whatever. And you know, yes, it is true that sometimes you will have examples of people trying to draw attention to themselves. They're, you know, they, they sort of go off the edge uh, trying to have people look at them and how spiritual they are, and, and, and they may do some weird things. But the bottom line is that, is that we're emotional creatures. And, and, you know, we were made to worship God. Uh, and, uh, and the way we worship will really says a lot about our heart. I've shared this with you before, but I was in uh, African-American history in college 
And uh, I remember that, uh, so I went to a bunch of uh, Afro-American churches with my roommate, and, uh, you know, they jammed those churches, like, big time. And, you know, preacher would preach, and people would be, you know, yelling out after every uh, verse, and they were into it. And so I reported this back to the class, and the teacher, I think, uh, may have noticed uh, a bit of cynicism in me. And he goes, so Steve, uh, when's the last time you went to a rock concert? And I said, oh, I went to a Bruce Springsteen concert, you know, six months ago or whatever. And he said, so what were you doing? Were you doing the same thing they were doing? Yeah, man, I was going, why? He goes, well, that shows where their heart is, and that shows where your heart is. Woo. Uh, anyway, well, guess what? He was absolutely right. He was right on, on target. And the interesting thing is I'm almost positive he was not a believer, but, you know, the Lord really used him to, uh, you know, to throw a spear uh, into my heart there. So um, uh, anyway, uh, you see here, that uh, David was really expressing his emotion, his heart for the Lord. And uh, it says that Michael, his wife, uh, despised him. She was, what was she? she was ashamed of him. And so, you know, this happens as uh, so often when people get into a position of authority and wealth, all of a sudden worship becomes not a dignified thing to do. And, you know, you'll even notice it in some of the, some of the mainstream denominations. You have, as you, some of the denominations are a lot wealthier than others, and you'll go into some of these more wealthy denominations, and, and there's, the worship can be almost emotionless because they're ashamed of expressing emotion to an unseen God. And so here you have Michael. She's used to being in the table of the king. She grew up around the table of the king. She was Saul's daughter. And she's just, you know, she's used to polite company and, you know, this type of thing. And uh, so she's ashamed. She's ashamed uh, of him. And then we read uh, in 1 Samuel that David said, you know, because you're... Uh, you know, you're so ashamed of me, you know, you'll, you'll be barren for the rest of your life. You're not going to have any kids. And certainly it is true that when people despise worship, they do have a barren life. They have a really barren life. But there's some, some, real, in, some, some real interesting commentaries on these verses about Michael. Actually, Alan Redpath is a very well-regarded man of God, uh, a teacher, a, a pastor, a, and a writer, says that it, it was at this point he feels that, you know, David rebuked his wife and ba basically cast her out of his presence, that the seeds were sown in his heart, which eventually led to his downfall with Bathsheba. You know, sort of cast out his wife. Now, he did have other, um, other wives as well that uh, that's a very interesting. That's a very interesting theory there. The men and husbands and wives, you know, you, you, you know, when you're you're grievously wronged. The solution is simply never to, you know, put out 
your wife or put out your husband. It just ain't going to work. There's going to be problems that are going to result from that. There's going to be tragedy. How can two walk together if they not, they're not in agreement? But, but at the same time, you know, if your spouse is moving on with the Lord, you need to be right there with him or her. You can't say, oh, wow, well, that's them. But I'm me. Because you can be unequally yoked in, in marriage and still be to have two believers. There can be husband and wife unequally yoked. I, I see this repeatedly. And, and it's a real problem. And so we need to, if we, it, you know, if, if we see our husband or wife and they're taken off with the Lord, we need to rejoice and we need to catch up with them. <laughs> running, running right alongside of them with the Lord. Chapter 16, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. It, it, I just love David's heart. He, he just wanted to bring everyone into his worship of God. It wasn't like this, oh, it's just a me and Lord type of thing. He just wanted to bring everyone in. You know, he had, you know, he had, uh, you know, I, I remember going around Europe by myself, and it was a wonderful time, but it was for like four months, but it was kind of a bummer because I like wanted someone to be with me to, to, to share these experiences. And that's why I took my baby uh, back there uh, three or four years later when after I met her and married her and I took her back to the same place. We hitchhiked around Ireland for two weeks. It was wonderful. Uh, took her to the, some of the same places, but but um, you know, just you, you see that the heart here in David, he's just so wonderful experience. He just wants to bring um, uh, you know others, the whole, actually the whole nation, uh, into it. Verse three says, then he distributed to every uh, one of Israel, both men and women, to everyone. It's a lot of people, millions. A loaf of bread and a and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And he appointed uh, some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jelel, and, and, and then some of the others who, uh, who made music. Verse 6, Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests regularly blew the, blew the trumpets before the Ark of the covenant of God. And so in verse 4, it says he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Uh, some people, they, in some translations, it's they were, to commemorate is that word record. Actually, Mr. McMillan, what does the King James Version say? Oh, man, the guy who hands out Bibles needed a Bible today? Who has the King James Version? What does it say? Verse 4. It says record. So, so can, what does it say, Angelina? 
that, that small font. You're looking at that size three font. And y your eyes are like. <laughs> yeah, I, re I tell you, I, the New King James Version, what does the NIV say? Who has the NIV, anyone? Verse 4, you're, you, so you're admitting you have the NIV? <laughs> okay, so it's just the, the, the King James version that says the w word record. And there's reason to believe that that's, you know, in the context that, that that's the better translation. And, you know, recording what the Lord has done. Recording the thanksgiving to the Lord. You know, if you guys don't have a journal, now you may think only nerds do that. But if you don't have a journal, you should really consider daily. And I can't say that I do it daily, but I do have a journal where I just put down and record what the Lord has done in my life. You know, you would be surprised how much is there. You know, as you're just writing it down, it's like, oh, yeah, wow, the Lord did that. Ooh, the Lord did that. Ooh, ooh, you know, you're, you're writing these things down. And, and uh, what a great, <laughs> what a man of God this guy was. What an example uh, for us, appointing people just to record uh, the things that the Lord uh, did. And then uh, verse 7 through 22 is Psalm 105. Actually, I read from Psalm 105 this morning where it says, talks about Joseph's soul being in iron. Right out of Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, talk of all his wondrous uh, works, glory in his holy name. Verse 11, seek the Lord. Seek his face. Remember his marvelous deeds, his wonders. And so if you're wondering about worship, if you're wondering how to pray, the Psalms are an instruction manual on how to worship and how to pray. I've been in the Psalms for just years and years and years myself, uh, you know, as part of my devotion time. And so if you want to know how to worship, you want to know how to, to pray, just read what we just read, verse 8. First, you give thanks. You want to know how to pray? Just first, you give thanks. Second, you call upon his name. Three, you make known his deeds. Uh, four, you sing to him. You talk of all his wondrous works. You glory in his holy name. Uh, verse 11, you seek the Lord. What is it, what, Lord, what do you want for my life? Uh, or seek the Lord in his strength. Lord, I need your strength. I need your power. Uh, verse 12, remember his marvelous works. Just remembering what he's done in our lives. So, uh, an instruction manual on, on prayer and worship. And Psalm 96 is verse 23 through 36. Psalm 96, a, a wonderful, wonderful psalm. Anyone recognize verse 31? Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Is that a Mary Barrett song? Let the heavens rejoice. No, that's, or is, is, okay, that may be a different song, but anyway, well, I tried. I whiffed on that one. But anyway, uh, let the, no, it is. This is it. This is it. 
Verse 32, let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the fields rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord. Again, the word rejoicing with worship, rejoicing for his coming to judge the earth. Verse 35, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together. Deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in praise. And then it says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. So it wasn't just the Baptists making that up. They've been saying it for 2,000 years. Amen. Actually, they said in the early church, what was our verse this morning? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of, of, of God are yes and what? Amen. That's right, in Christ. And so... Um, one of the guys I listen to from time to time is David Hawking, and I just heard him, and he was talking about how he went to a church one time. You know, he wrote, he went to a bunch of different churches over the course of the last 40 years, and he pastored them. And one church he got to, uh, no one ever said amen uh, during the service uh, while he was preaching. And he's just like an amen kind of guy. You ever met someone like that? He's just, you know, he's just an amen kind of guy. And so he said, look, is anyone going to say amen in here? And some little old lady in the front row said, amen. And she was the only one in the whole place. <laughs> and he said he, the next Sunday he gave an entire sermon on why you should say amen. Uh, I'm not going to do that, but that's, uh, that's what David Hawking did. Anyway, he's an interesting guy. Used to be showbiz pastor, is that right? Used to be showbiz pastor. So... Uh, Verse 33, the ch uh, 43, the chapter ends, and all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. And I really like that, because as we go and we feed off the body of Christ, as we go to church, as we minister at the church, it's not time away from our family. Sure, we're taking a couple of hours and we're apart from our family in a way, that's true. But when we return to our family, the blessing is multiplied exponentially in terms of hours. It's a good investment to go to the house of the Lord, to worship the Lord, to learn His Word, because when we return to our house, we bless it. We bless the house, our, our house, by being in the house of the Lord. And, uh, and, and families are built up based upon the mom and dad. There's only one dad or mom investing their time at church and then returning to bless the house uh, of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to end there. I'm going to end there. Why don't we pray? Father, I just thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, we want to leave this place uh, tonight. We want to go back to our homes, our workplaces, our, our families, roommates, whatever, to bless them with what we've been blessed. We want to rejoice, continue the rejoicing at home. We want to 
Father, we just want to be a model, Lord, of David's heart, of bringing everyone into what we've experienced by you. Father, thank you for, for refreshing our hearts this evening. We pray, Lord, just for the grace to be not only hearers, but doers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in about 15 minutes, we are going to come back here and pray. Those of you who, you, who would like to, that is. And that's just sort of a free will offering type of thing. If you need to go, please do. But we're going to be praying. And specifically to this evening, we want to pray for Calvary Chapel Missions, which is Calvary Chapel Boise's outreach to Indian, in particular, Pastor Guna, who is Calvary Chapel Bangalore, and he, they have a new school for children there that um, they just want to praise the Lord for. They have a new Bible school for teachers they want to praise the Lord uh, for, and then it says for a prayer request that, that God would give grace to Pastor Goon and his co-workers to increase their prayer time. You know, that's something that's really been on my heart recently for our church, the grace to increase our prayer time. Someone really knows what they're, they're doing here by making this request. Spiritual growth and physical health for the HIV-positive people, so there's a ministry to the HIV uh, community, if you will. Strength and perseverance to those ministering in slum villages, especially to those who, who, who live with the people in the slum. So remember, Pastor Guna, our church supports him, supports that ministry, chapel missions over there in Israel this evening. Okay. Well, so if you'd like to uh, come and pray, please do. If not, God bless you. Good evening.